Hey, folks, welcome back to the Climbing Business Journal podcast. I'm Holly Chen. I'm a contributing writer at CBJ, and I'll be your host in today's episode. With the Climbing Business Journal podcast, we hope to empower and inspire professionals in the climbing industry. Today's guest is Stephanie Murr, a climber of almost a decade and a route setter for just as long. Steph is currently the head setter at Climb Tacoma in Tacoma, Washington. She began her setting career volunteering at the local YMCA before joining the Climb Tacoma staff. In addition to route setting, Steph also manages the gym and coaches the youth team. If you're wondering why she sounds so familiar, it's probably because you've come across an Instagram account she founded and co-manages, Expensive Boulders. In today's wide-ranging conversation, Steph and I talk about social media's impact on route setting, aesthetics versus function, her philosophy and approach, and of course, rock climbing. Trango has designed innovative gear since 1991 for every kind of climbing, including sport, trad, bouldering, alpine, ice, and mountaineering. They make everything a climber needs. For climbing walls, Trangle holes have been staples worldwide for over 20 years. Their rock prodigy is one of the planet's most popular hangboards. They also distribute Tanaya shoes in North America. Learn more at trangle.com. Kilter Grips has produced many of the most popular hold shapes in the world for almost 10 years. They also invented the Kilter Board, an innovative standardized training board with intuitive LEDs that light up the full hold perimeter. Kilter has won more CBJ Grip List awards than any other company. Learn more at settercloset.com. I want to jump straight into it because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, for the viewers, I mean, the listeners who don't know, Steph runs the account Expensive Boulders on Instagram. Actually, um, can I stop you right there? Because that, that is no longer accurate. So I am the founder of Expensive Boulders. And I, gosh, I don't even remember how long it went on for, but I ran the account by myself for a really long time. I actually started it in, gosh, probably like May or June of 2020, just because I was like, God, that boulder looks so expensive. And then I would start calculating out in my head, um, being like, wow, that's actually like a $3,500 boulder just by itself. That's insane. And I just kept doing that over and over again. And then I was like, I bet there's other people that would get a kick out of this. So I started doing it. But after um, everything kind of started opening back up again and my life got a lot more busy because, man, w- during the pandemic, like we did so many things to fill our time. And my mind was just going straight to route setting because that was like the one thing that I didn't really have access to during that time. Um, and I missed it a lot. Um, but once my life started getting back to being busy again, I realized that like the pandemic had a, a huge effect on my capacity to be able to just focus and spend mental energy on things. And um, I was like, man, I don't think that I can devote the time to this that I used to be able to. Man, I, if only there was somebody who was just as stoked as I was about route setting. And then I thought of my friend, Steven Heimer, um, Shimer sort of sends on Instagram. And I was like, hey, so I kind of need an intern. And he was like, oh, like, I'd be so willing to do it. He was just so stoked. And so I would say it's definitely been over a year now, but he has been doing basically all of the posting and researching since then because I just needed a full-on break. And my Instagram by itself was also enough. And running a gym, I manage a gym. I also headset at that gym and I also coach at that gym. 
And I also do other things outside of that. I'm trying to further my own like outdoor rock climbing goals and everything like that. So I just didn't have enough energy to put towards that. But I also didn't want expensive boulders to die. Um, and I still very often am thinking about how expensive boulders are um, whenever I go to a gym. And um, so, yeah, I asked Stephen if he would be interested. And he said, absolutely, because I knew that he would. And so um, he's no longer my intern. I now consider him my co-creator. Um, the last post that I did actually was one of the most recent ones where I posted a video of me climbing an outdoor boulder um, in a crag nearby, one of my home crags that I visit a lot. And I briefly just talked about, hey, like we talk about like indoor climbs on this account all the time and how much they cost. But like this post is about um, all of the gear that it took for me to send this boulder, all the gear that um, like I use to help me get up the rock, but everything that I use to help protect me if I would have fallen. And it came out to about, I think like $2,100 or something. And most of that was crash pads, um, which we got a lot of mixed reviews on. It was really interesting for people to be like, yeah, but you like reuse the crash pads. And then I'm like, okay, but also in all of the other expensive boulders posts, like these holds are being reused too, but you're not saying that. It's just really interesting how people reacted to it. But I also don't really know if people fully understood what I was saying. But I mean, yeah, whatever. So th that is all to say that um, the posts that you have been seeing probably like all of the most recent ones have all been Steven. And he has done a great job of carrying on the original spirit of what I wanted for expensive boulders and even just making it more fun, more engaging and better. And I'm so glad that he has the energy and capacity to do it because I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> so and it's fun to see. Yeah, I am glad that Steven is taking over because I really enjoy that account as climber and route setter. And I know people who are not route setters who follow that account. And I know, just it's cool. Get really excited about it. Um, also, that's really impressive that you do so many jobs. Um, I wish I had that kind of mental capacity. So, you know, thumbs up to you. Uh, thirdly, the post... <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget to take a mental health day every now and then though. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My body forces me to, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the post that you just mentioned is one of the posts that got me excited to talk to you because oh. I am really excited that Stephen is continuing with this mission. But when you founded the account, the current tagline of the Instagram account says expensive bouldering routes and their estimated costs for those who love and appreciate route setting. Um, it seems like this mission may be starting to evolve. And I'm wondering whether you could elaborate on you know, maybe some initial goals you had for the account and what you hope the community to gain from it and whether it has evolved or not. Yeah, so it's actually really interesting because, well, first of all, I think it's really cool to be able to walk into a gym and see all sorts of different boulders. You know, there's a lot of variety. But if you look at my account, or our account, you'll actually see that there's predominantly, I wouldn't say it's one type of boulder, but it's definitely a certain flavor of boulder and it's boulders with big holds. Um, you would be surprised to 
see that on the account and then actually see where I'm from. Like the gym that I'm from, the gym that I had set at, the gym that I grew like grew up route setting in, which has mm-hmm. only been like the last eight years. Um, we don't have any sort of wall terrain that allows for us to set with holds that big. Um, even some of our volumes can't fit on all of the walls that we have. And we are extremely limited as to what we can do um, in terms of like big coordination, like moves on slab or on vert or anything that allow, like force you to stay close to the wall. Um, we, because of the density that we have to have on our walls because of how small our gym is, we actually cannot really facilitate that. So a lot of our climbs are just like maybe maybe the biggest hold you'll see is probably the size of, oh gosh, how big is what I'm making with my hands right now? What would you, like a backpack? Like the size of a really big backpack? There are some holds that are bigger than that. Yeah, some holds that Mm -hmm. are bigger than that. But like a lot of our holds, I'd say are probably like, football to baseball size holes yeah maybe yeah mm-hmm. and then also just like anything smaller than that so a lot of it mm-hmm. is like grab and pull pull really hard like toe down really hard use your heels and everything um mm-hmm. and getting to like the actual answer of your question uh, a lot of people would always say like man climbing gym memberships are so expensive like i don't get it blah 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 um one of the huge expenses for climbing gyms are holds. And Mm -hmm. like, it is absolutely crazy how expensive these holds can get. Um, And me, where I come from, Climb Tacoma, we are a basically a mom and pop gym. Um, Mm -hmm. We are, we have two owners and they are just two dudes who love climbing so much and saw an opportunity that they could buy a gym that was going to close down and they bought it and they turned it into the old school gym that they always wanted. And I've done my best to try and um, keep that feel because I think I think it's just the coolest feel ever. Like you'll walk into our gym and you'll see like a very old school, like down to earth, like climber's gym kind of feel. Um, and then if you go to, let's say, like a bouldering project, it's a definitely a completely different feel. Um, our holds... Our, our walls are really dense with holds because um, we do have a small space, whereas other gyms, um, things are a lot more spread out. And maybe on like a huge wall space, you'll only see like eight routes where if we had that wall space, we'd probably have like 20 routes in mm-hmm. that area. Um, but my goal with the account was basically just to kind of raise awareness of like, hey, like this sport is becoming like an industry and this industry is actually quite expensive Mm-hmm. Um, like your, your 30 second to a minute experience of you climbing on one boulder. Um, not only do those holds cost money, but the person who put those holds there, it costs money to have them there. Um, the person that learned how to do that, it costs money to teach them how to do that. It costs money to buy the tools and all of the hardware and all of the everything, the time that it took to like teach them like how to use their creativity and like think of something in their brain and then have it appear on the wall. Like all of that costs so much money. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I also mostly like, I would say the main answer to your question is that I just thought it was really cool to be like that boulder costs (laughs) $2,200. Like it's just, it's just like a really crazy fun fact. But Mm -hmm. then I also realized like, Hey, like, 
this sport is like expensive. It's not free, even if you go outside, which is what um, that whole outdoor post was about. And like, there are a lot of people who just like straight up can't afford to do this sport. And I think about it all the time. Like, what if like the the next like most talented climber like in the world will never be able to be like introduced to the sport or like even develop their skills because uh, they have a financial barrier to climbing. And that like, that just sounds like really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, life I is think, also really expensive. Just living I know. is expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people, especially non-voutsetters, can potentially underestimate how much it costs. And don't forget the time. Um, time is money, right? So all of that adds up to quite a bit. Um, and to going back to what you were saying about, you know, gyms with dense walls, uh, I just want to give a shout out to gyms like that because why... While I love these boutique, beautiful new gyms, I started climbing at, you know, a gym that was built in an old tuna cannery. And that has, (laughs) I know, don't worry, it doesn't smell like tuna. At least when I started there, it didn't smell like tuna. (laughs) I was told when it started, it did, which I can't imagine it being very pleasant. Um, So funny. But yeah, these old gyms are far and few between now and... I think sometimes they have part, like the oldest part of the climbing community in it. And with that brings a lot of history. And I hope that they don't disappear completely, especially with big gyms rolling through with shiny amenities and whatnot. And also gyms like yours have a lot of commercial styled setting that is most closely resembling outdoor rock climbing. So if you want to train hard, that's the kind of gyms to go to. That is something, thank you for saying that about the outdoor climbing, because um, when I was first being ushered into setting um, in my small Climb Tacoma community, um, there was a huge emphasis on outdoor climbing. Um, This was all pre-COVID, obviously. I would say that the majority of the people that utilized our gym on a very regular basis also either were very familiar with climbing outside or have at least climbed outside a couple of times. And so mm-hmm. we very much prioritize the the setting indoors so that you can succeed outdoors type of feel. Um, mm-hmm. And this was, this was before big like competition style movement was, I guess you could say like coordination, coordination, like dyno stuff like that. Um, before that was all really popular. So like there weren't people coming in really expecting to see that kind of route setting in the gym. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Also, our grading was pretty similar to the difficulty of like outdoor style, like grading and climbing difficulty. And so people would come in from other gyms and expect to do really well on certain grades and then um, be like, wow, this gym is really hard. Like, yeah, also all of our holds are like 15 years old. And instead of being washed with a pressure washer, they were cleaned with muriatic acid and a lot of the texture is gone. So you can't just rely on hanging on your skin and friction. Like you also have to like squeeze the holds, you know? And so there was a period in time where a big crew from my gym would go around to like some comps and like in the area and at least like in like most categories, at least one person would be in the top three and they would like podium and people would be like, where are these climb Tacoma people? Like, how do they do? And I'm just like, dude, it's our holds. They have no texture. We have to squeeze really hard. 
hey, I mean, it breeds strong climbers. And when someone goes out there and climbs in somewhere like Rifle or, you know, somewhere that has no friction, they do well. And yeah, I mean, having a sandbagged or stiff grade is kind of gives you guys a tough reputation anyway. So I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the account expensive boulders. And um, because the main thing, the main question that I thought about when I look at uh, route setting and how it's represented online is, uh, you know, what you said earlier, the contrast between these like big competition style moves versus rock climbing. And I'm not saying that competition style moves is not rock climbing. And I like the direction that it's evolving into because it shows that we are changing as an industry and change is good. We don't want to stay stagnant. But I think, um, and feel free to disagree with me on this, but I think that social media's representation of route setting could potentially be, potentially be skewed. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it absolutely is. Like, I don't know. Like, I do spend a lot of time in the Tacoma area climbing. And if I'm not climbing like at my gym, I'm probably climbing outside on a boulder where I feel like you're not really going to see comp style movement outside unless like you try to do it that way or you you read that you can do it that way. Um, the gym that I go to the most probably to do climbing um, for my own personal climbing is Momentum in Southern Seattle. And mm -hmm. they, I think that they do a very good job of having a really good variety, a good mix between um, the style that I am the most used to, which is just like, you know, be strong, pull hard, you know, have good technique, all that stuff. Um, and also like coordination, um, low percentage movement, dynamic movement, stuff like that. Things that like people, a normal person would see and be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Cause like, if you are on a boulder that is just like pull and be strong, like someone can be really strong and they can hop on it and they can climb it and make it kind of look just like, okay, yeah, chill. Like I feel like mm -hmm. these days, if we see a video on Instagram of someone just climbing something like that and they're really strong, they make it look really easy. Like, is it something that's going to keep our attention or are we going to scroll until we find the thing where there's some dude doing like a six move paddle and then mm -hmm. catching something with one arm. And then like, you know, like I, that's the kind of movement that happens very quickly and it catches your eye and it, I don't know, feeds the whatever thing in your brain that like, like, is that dopamine or something? Yeah. Like it, Mm -hmm. it hits that spot in your brain when you see something crazy and outlandish like that. Cause your, your first thought is like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I could never do that. You mm -hmm. know? Um, but like, kind of like how people are like, Hey, have you seen free solo? Like, that's crazy. Who like aren't climbers. Like I am always quick to tell people, yes, I have seen free solo. Yes. It's a crazy, very impressive feat, but 99.999% of climbers do not do that kind of climbing mm -hmm. at all. So please don't get the wrong idea. Um, I would say like, depending on the gym, like most of the routes are not that kind of route. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it can, if that's all we're seeing, I feel like as route setters, like it can be kind of tough to like break out of that and get creative just making what you could consider just original vanilla, whatever normal <laughs> route setting where you're just pulling, which I think is really fun. I love that because I'm a very static climber. I don't do very well with dynamic movement. It's something that I am like actively training all the time to try to be better at it 
Um, and a lot of people like it, it kind of, it kind of scares them away a little bit. Um, a lot of people do not like, cause you know how there is, um, risk in tech intensity and complexity in route setting. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people get really scared of and shy away from the boulders that have high risk, um, that oh, are low percentage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're human beings. We would prefer not to fall and twist our ankles. So yeah, exactly. High risk is scary in every circumstance and outdoors is especially scary. I mean, well, I'm not going to try to jump to something that I have even a shred of doubt that I can't hold because if I miss it, I'm decking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And these people are coming to the gym to get a workout and also have fun, at least in my community. Every All of my perspectives are coming from my community, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. People are coming to the gym to uh, get a good workout and have fun doing the thing that they love with people that they enjoy. And like, they don't want to be, well, some people don't want to be like trying that move over and over again where they feel like they look stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, maybe some people are comfortable with that, but also like that's something fun to try and then move on to the ones that look like they would be possible for you. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And I mean, Every, from everything that you said, I think the thing that jumped out at me most was, you know, a diversity in a set. Like, we want diversity. We want some of those crazy risky moves. We want something that's showboaty and cool. But at the end of the day, most of us are rock climbers. And maybe they seem vanilla compared to the six paddle moves, but they're rock climbs and we're rock climbers. And that's what, that's our bread and butter. We, we live for that kind of stuff. Amen, brother. Yeah, That's how I feel. <laughs> um, well, social media obviously has its pros. Like you can share ideas and start discussions, but sometimes the discussions become arguments, and we know how <laughs> online arguments go. Um, and you can gain inspiration and things like that. But I mean, social media absolutely focuses on aesthetics. Um, and sometimes when the climber in the video is really strong and they make something look really easy, it's difficult to tell the functionality of the climb. So how do you think this like slightly skewed representation of route setting is impacting route setters, whether they be brand new or have been setting for 20 years? I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I think it can, at least for me, it has like allowed me to get myself like into a little bit of like a rut and feel a little bit stuck sometimes. Cause when it comes to aesthetics versus functionality, like, like I, I will tell you right now that I've set a route, like I've set routes that are super aesthetic and I'm like, gosh, that is so pretty. It's literally perfect. I cannot believe how pretty and perfect this is and how everything matches. Like everything is like you know, turned and set the way that I want it. But then in forerunning, like one part doesn't work. And the best solution that will give my community um, the route that is best for them, that they will have the most fun on, that they will gain the most from, because my routes, they're not my routes. These are Climb Tacoma's routes for the people. That's actually one of my biggest philosophies is that when we're setting we we are basically chefs that are whipping up a meal for the people. Chefs don't cook for them like when they're when they're cooking in their restaurant, they're not cooking for themselves. You know, like maybe maybe they they will want it to be a certain quality for themselves, but like they're not putting in the ingredients in the dish that like they would want. Like it's all about making sure that like for the grade, for the type of movement, 
the climber is enjoying themselves. They're having just the right amount of like, um, like difficulty, um, just the right amount of risk, you know, all that stuff. Um, there have been times where I've had to compromise aesthetics for functionality and be like, yeah, this hold does not match the hold set. Everything is dual text here, but this one isn't. But like this move is too hard for what this wall, what this set needs it to be. And it needs to change. And like, mm -hmm. I've also had some of my setters go through the same thing too. Like, but like this foot, like it just matches so well. Or like, look how it fits on the volume. And I'm like, yeah, but like the way that it's turned, people aren't going to be able to use it. It's not going to be as usable. Um, and the amount of effort they're going to have to put forth to make this work is not going to be right for the grade. And like, that can be, that can be tough sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can emphasize with that. I think every route setter can emphasize with just, oh man, it looks perfect, but I got to tweak it. Like my, my way of dealing with it is before I tweak it, I take a photo of it. Oh yes. Yeah. And then it's Absolutely. in my memory. It's in my, you know, my, my photo album and I get to keep that memory. And if I want to post it, I get to post it, but I give yeah. the community the grade and the movement that is appropriate. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you, you, there's a certain, there's a certain level of like something that you are trying to teach them. And that will always come first to me um, over aesthetics and how a climb looks. Even like mm. it, there are some, there are some climbs that have that really ugly foothold on it. That is probably like older than my youngest climbing team kid. <laughs> we have some really old holds. Um, and, but the climb functions so much better with mm -hmm. that really ugly foothold and people will come off the wall saying how much fun they had. And they like, no one else realizes that, Hey, that foothold is super slick and really ugly and got super faded. And then, so you repainted it, but some of the paint is chipping off so you can see the old <laughs> color and it doesn't fully match all the rest of the holds. Like they, they don't, they don't see that. They don't realize that. Um, they just remember how much fun they had on that mm -hmm. route. Like there, I have a route up right now that is purple. Most of the holds are purple. Um, some of the holds are purple and I'm using quotes with my fingers. <laughs> um, they have been repainted because they faded to be like a, like a brown grayish brown. Oh, yeah. Like a, yeah. 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 And so someone, I don't, I'm not going to name names because I'm not hundred percent sure who did it, but thought it would be a good idea. And I don't think it was a bad idea because you can now tell that they're more purple, but they decided to spray paint them to be more purple and um, I hate the way that it looks. I think it's so ugly and I quite often avoid using those holds. But I set this route on the wall that is um, notoriously everybody's least favorite, even the, like mostly the route setters. We, we hate that wall. We hate it so much. And that is one of the routes that I have gotten the most compliments on. And I think it's very funny. They're like, that route is so <laughs> fun. And it has two really fun moves. Um, that like are very approachable, um, very like make you feel really cool when you do it because like your feet cut, but like you're on a really good hold and like you're, you would think like, oh, there's no way I'd be able to hold that, but they're holding it and they're like surprised at themselves that they did it. And like the experience and the way that the route made them feel was so positive and they had like the best time, very memorable. And I'm sitting here like, I'm so glad that you like this route, um, even though mm -hmm. like all of these holds are none of them are matching and all of them are very ugly and only most of them are the purple 
that they should be? <laughs> uh, two things. The first one is, can you please take a picture of that hold and show us what it looks like on expensive borders or something? Because now I'm really oh, curious what a spray painted hold looks like. And oh, I wonder dude. how it feels too. I, I bet the paint takes away the texture or the texture is already gone at that point. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. It uh-huh. would be it would be more interesting for somebody who climbs in a gym that does has never had any sort of experience with holds like that to feel because to me it just feels like the holds that I've been touching for years. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, we have a lot of really old holds and I think I think that's a really good good idea cuz like it would be a really cool contrast to see like hey, these are all of the holds that we are showcasing in all of our expensive boulders posts. Um, mm-hmm. But here are the holds that came before them that are somehow still intact and living. Like there are some holds that are made by certain brands who use certain material material where if you drop them, they will break. If you drop them on a hard concrete surface, they will shatter. Whereas mm-hmm. now if you drop a hold that's just made out of like just the standard plastic, like it'll bounce or like it'll just be like nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I still see those really old holds around and they generally have a chip corner. Um, <laughs> and I, I think they may be coming back into style because I am seeing them on newer holds. But uh, I think it will be really interesting uh, to see the pros and cons of the hold types. Um, the second thing is um, I want to play devil's advocate. You said that generally you're going to sacrifice aesthetics for function. And 99% of the time, I agree with that. Um, but is there any time where you are willing to sacrifice functionality for aesthetics? I'm sure that there is. Yeah. What I mean, would there circumstances be, I feel like if it, if it was something that maybe like, oh, the route with this perfect aesthetic turns out to be just a touch harder or maybe they will have to work a little bit harder to keep their feet on. Um, I think the answer to that would be if it teaches a good lesson, if it's something that makes them work harder and end up using better technique or they have to get better body position or, you know, something like that. I think it would be, I think that that is fine. I definitely have sacrificed the functionality to keep an aesthetic Cause I'm like, well, like this will just be a really good opportunity for them to do X, Y, and Z, you know, with their foot placement, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but if it's something, if it's something that I feel like would not be beneficial, especially for the difficulty or in like grossly inappropriate for the difficulty, then I will make the executive decision to be like, no, we should switch it out. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes things, sometimes things turn out so perfect that like, Maybe it's okay, like if they have to work a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that might be the only time. Absolutely, um, aesthetics often draw customers. I mean, sometimes you walk into a gym, you're like, I don't care what grade that route is, I'm gonna try it. And also, like, if all of the footholds look the same, and like, there's just maybe one part of the route where, like, because of how the wall angle is, the foothold is really hard to stand on. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe all you have left in the back are these footholds that are like, like really faded or whatever. Like sometimes it's better to have those footholds that are like literally all look the same because it'll actually Mm -hmm. be easier for the climber to identify 
um, mm-hmm. oh yeah, these footholds are part of my climb, especially if um, there is another climb nearby that has holds of a similar color, like uh, red and orange together, or like blue and purple. Sometimes people have a hard time differentiating between the two. Um, mm-hmm. We've gotten uh, suggestions from colorblind people like, hey, could you not set blue and purple next to each other? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, red man, and green. Like, yeah, like things like mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, that's actually like really hard to mm-hmm. plan. That's a whole nother conversation. Accessibility Absolutely. in terms of, oh man, I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Um, well, let me circle back to social media and route setting for just another second. Um, in your experience, you know, running an account that focuses on aesthetics and cool comp style coordination moves or just, you know, big holds in general. Um, and your experience as a headsetter, you're absolutely, well, certainly training new people or, you know, picking up setters from across the country. What do you think the route setting industry and community should take from these big, expensive looking climbs and what should they leave behind? Like, do you have general advice for a novice setter on this one or things that you wish the older generation of setters would leave behind or hangups, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Well, I think, I think social media is definitely the place where we put our best looking things, whether that be climbing, whether that be like, just like your face, like you're not Mm -hmm. gonna, like, I'm sure like everyone has a beautiful face. Okay. Like they're, I am beautiful just the way I am. But there are some pictures of my face that I'm not going to post on my social media. <laughs> a lot of them, a lot of them live in my friend's phones, and that's <laughs> totally fine. But I'm not going to post it on my social media. But uh, okay, honestly, that's not true because sometimes I do post some things. But I mean, it's not something that I would want to have on my feed. But mm-hmm. those funny pictures or those like not so great pictures of me, like you know, like they exist, you know, mm-hmm. and they are the reality of part of who I am like these expensive boulders that we are posting, like are literally, it's literally just like, like a, like a lint trap of just the most, like, like, like the biggest flashiest things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like any, any person that's been in a rock climbing gym, unless it's like a comp style only gym, like we'll see those non flashy boulders and like, that is what they need to get proficient in setting with first. So like any setter that I'm training, the first type of route I'm going to have them set is like a V0. And they're going to first climb several other V0s in my gym so that they understand what V0 feels like. And like if I'm going to hire a setter and train them, they should already know what V0 feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there will be some things that I'll point out to them like for V0, like... Um, it's going to be very simple, like not complex, like very low complexity. Um, there should be feet pretty much everywhere a climber would want them. And um, it should feel like very low risk and like not super intense for a V0. And then they would set it and then we would talk about it. And like before you start setting all of these crazy types of movement, like you need to get the fundamentals down first and you're not usually setting those very simple type of movement with like really huge dual techs. Like some gyms do it. Some gyms have, <laughs> some gyms can afford to set a like $1,500 V0. 
and I've, I've seen it, I've climbed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I think, I think it's really important for people to know that like, that is like what's on expensive boulders is like, just, it, it's a very specific flavor mm-hmm. of route setting. It's a very specific flavor of climbing and like in, you know, as a chef, you don't only just cook food in one flavor. Mm-hmm. You have many flavors and it would be really boring to eat something with one flavor for the rest of your life. Um, sometimes you want stuff that's like not as spicy. You know, sometimes you want something that is just a very simple, comforting flavor, you know, and to me, that would just be like the the really easy to read, like be strong, grab and pull and use like good toe and heel hooking technique and stuff like that. And then sometimes, man, you're just in the mood for something spicy, you know, but I would say that Mm -hmm. the general pop is just like pretty chill with like, just like medium, you know, I don't know. Everybody likes different stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I think gyms that can afford to set a 1500 or more V0, I do applaud that. Because mm-hmm. I think that sometimes the biggest, most expensive holds are reserved for the hard climbs. Oh, yes. And absolutely. it becomes, yeah, it becomes inaccessible to people who want to stay on moderates or newer climbers who maybe it gives them something to inspire, aspire to for sure. But, you know, give, put a billion volumes on a V0 if you have the budget for it. Have the new climber balance across a bunch of volumes and have fun and learn a risky movement in a low risk environment. And then exactly. they can step up from there, right? Yeah. I completely but. agree with that. Like whenever, mm-hmm. whenever we get a big new hold, I always try to put it on a route that the majority of um, our climbing membership base climbs at. So I would say typically like every single person that comes into the gym, they either can hop on something like v3 or they're like definitely climb past like that level but that climb is still accessible to them whenever we get like some nice new holds or volumes i always try to make sure that some of them go to a climb in the grade range of three to five because Mm -hmm. that is that is where most people who are climbing in my gym are at so they get to touch those holds Mm -hmm. and then um any other big really cool looking holds that are kind of in the rotation if they were just on like a v9 i'll be like cool like let's try to set like a v2 with that like i i really do not like the idea of like the coolest holds you can only touch them if you can climb at a certain level that feels that feels like really lame (laughs) because at that point like all v0s v1s v2s just become jug ladders Mm-hmm. But I think that there there's really interesting movement to be created with some really funky holds that like it'll it'll make someone's day like they'll be like they'll walk in and they're just a V2 climber, like just a V2 climber, which I think is a perfectly valid place to be because climbing is crazy. Climbing is hard. Crazy climbing sport. is hard. so hard. Mm-hmm. But if you give if you give that person who who is so stoked, like you let them grab this huge hold with like all this crazy texture on it and then like make them get on top of it and do a move that like they wouldn't be able to do with just holds that are the size of your fists. Mm-hmm. You know, like it makes their body experience movement that they've never experienced before. And then maybe later down the line, there'll be a harder route with that similar type of movement and they'll know what to do instinctually. And I think that that's really important. And we, mm-hmm. I very much emphasize like, hey, please create really fun 
like V1 to V3. Like yeah. do your best to create fun V1 to V3, not just a ladder. Like I'm I'm done with that. I'm done with ladders. Mm-hmm. I agree there's with a time that. and a place. But, yeah, yeah, you know that feeling when you're outside and you see a line and you're just like, I want to climb that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. I want to recreate that in gyms. Like I want any climber to come in, whether they be V10 or V0 and see a climb and want to try it. And instead of, you know, especially with the climbs with big volumes and big holds, it's more likely that it draws the eye. So why yep. not draw everybody's eye? And the last thing on this is if more people climb it, isn't that technically more cost effective if you put a more expensive hold on it, right? Oh, like you're getting totally. more traffic on it. Right? Yeah. Why are we reserving it for V12 climbers? And generally in a community, V12 climbers are of the minority. Exactly. Yeah. You spend like $250 on a hold, but only like maybe three people like 7% touch. of the people that climb at your gym can like actually climb through the route uh-huh. and be able to touch it because you make yeah. it a crux hold. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> totally fine. Like do that for sure, but don't do that every single time. You know, and yeah. I, I feel like I feel like the gym that I go to in Seattle, Momentum, they do a really good job of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have come to like appreciate and I notice it every time when they set like a really cool V1 with like a lot of volumes or like um, using like one particular hold. Like I call it a showcase hold or a showcase mm-hmm. move. Like usually when I'm setting something regardless of the grade, I'll like pick out a hold I'm really stoked about and I'll put it up on the wall. Um, in the way that I will want people to interact with it. And then I will build the route like sometimes from like the bot or the the top down or the bottom up, or I'll start from the middle Crux and out. work my way outwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it when uh, gyms will take like a really cool hold, like the showcase hold and make people like allow people to interact with it in like such a, like either a really straightforward way or in a way that seems complex, but then when they actually get there, they're like, oh, wow, like I can do this. Or they say other people do it and then they go and try it. And then it's actually like really approachable. Like, I think that Mm -hmm. that is really cool. They do a really Mm -hmm. good job of making really fun, um, lower grade climbs, which Mm -hmm. I respect a lot. And -hmm. I feel like some gyms might not prioritize that as much, but the people who are getting into climbing, like who are newer, they deserve to have as much fun as the people who have been doing it for years. So Mm -hmm. it goes back to diversity in a set, right? You want a balanced set of every type of climb possible. And the the showcase moves, I call them hero moves. Um, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Oh, I like that. I think people think that these hero moves only appear on, you know, the finals boulders and the finals round. But no, there's a hero move on a V3. If yeah, you look hard dude. enough, if you look with the route setter's eye, there is a hero move in every climb. Oh, it's so at least true. it can be if you make it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I think Ooh. I'm gonna start using showcase holds because I do like that. Like, yeah, because you know, it's like the, the it's like the first thing that your eye sees when you walk in. You see the new wall, and you're like, oh, that, hold that hold is on the wall. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay, what? what grade is the route? Let's see. We actually mm-hmm. don't grade our routes until about seven days after they've been up on the wall mm-hmm. so that people don't, um, aren't like scared to try. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't love know that very... philosophy. We do that too. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I don't mm-hmm. see very many gyms that wait to grade. Cause like 
if I ever just tried to grade straight out the gates, like I would be wrong most of the time. And the way that I figure out what something should be graded is I I watch my community members climb it and I climb it myself. And that gives me most of the information that I need to grade a climb. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Watching, yeah. you know, a V5 climber on a V5 and experiencing V5 difficulty versus yeah. a V10 climber on a V5. There's a very, very different um, yeah. ways of looking at it. And it's very likely that a V10 climber is going to underestimate their own ability or a V5 climber is going to overestimate. Like it can go both ways. Um, For sure. Yeah. So with your experience on expensive boulders and running um, or now co-running a big social media account, um, how has the evolution of route setting online changed your philosophy over the years? Like, has it, you know, or if yes, why and how? I, I was I was thinking about this and I don't really know if it has. I think the only way that it maybe has changed it is just what I was saying earlier about putting more focus on um, creating climbs at lower grades that like, mm -hmm. like are eye catching and look fun. Um, Cause mm -hmm. I, it, it just, it pains me to think about like someone walking into the gym and getting so excited to like, look at a climb, like that climb looks really exciting. And then like realizing that like where they're at now with their skill level, like they wouldn't, stand a chance on it. Um, just like, yeah, prioritizing those lower level climbs. And I, gosh, I remember Steven posted a really great expensive boulder. And I can't remember how long ago this was. It did. It, it's been like in, in the last year for sure. Um, I think it might've been like a V2 or a V3, something like that. Um, and it was expensive for sure. Like it wasn't, it wasn't super cheap compared to anything that we had had, but the movement was very simple and like the holds were big. It, they were cool holds and everything. And there were people in the comments just like they were ragging on the fact that it was an easy climb. And I'm like, this isn't like, this isn't expensive hard boulders. This isn't expensive <laughs> double digit only boulders. This isn't expensive, like comp style, like 3 million paddle dinos and like a 360 campus, like feet first <laughs> knee bar 360 boulders. This is just expensive boulders. It doesn't matter how hard the boulder is. Like there are hard boulders that can literally cost like $75. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. But if you know what you're doing, you can make pretty in-cut in -cut crimps really hard. And yeah. there will be, yeah, like you said, $75. Yeah. Like you, you could just buy like a pack of the comfy crimps from Trango which I think right now are like $66 MSRP, something like that. Mm -hmm. And you could make, you could make a route with like, maybe like add like four foot chips. Yeah. And then like, like It'd very, very tiny, like technic, like screw on or like no shadow tiptoe. Or the sneakers. I love those. Those yeah. are hard. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just, just absolutely tiny. It could be a boulder that's for sure under $80, which I mean, to a route setter, not expensive at all. Super cheap compared to anything mm -hmm. that we put on there. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, lower level, lower level boulders deserve to be expensive too. And you know exactly. what? Like that, that is that that could be like a a quote. Like lower <laughs> level boulders or lower grade boulders deserve to be expensive too. Let's make a hashtag. I, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll post with that hashtag and. We yeah. can be like hashtag seventy five dollar V twelves. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, have you tried to put fat lips or cannons on a steep wall? Like they become absolutely unusable. Oh, abs- on yeah. dirt or slab, they're, they're jobs. Yeah. Like yeah, I could do them without my hands. <laughs> absolutely, oh, w- yeah. which is like honestly kind of fun. That's kind of fun. okay. I like that. <laughs> All right, we're starting these two hashtags, um, dude. Yeah, I want to keep be- going. I can't sorry, believe I've never on. said that. I'm, I just sorry. I just can't believe I've never said that before. That expensive. Hey. Like yeah, yeah, like lower level, like V twos deserve to be expensive too. Like anyway, yeah, I'm excited about that. Good, I'm good ideas about are coming that. out of this. Good ideas are coming yeah, out of dude. this. I'm gonna mm-hmm. text Stephen. Yeah. Um. Okay. Going back to philosophy. Um. Can you tell us about the major influences or mentors that really shaped who you are as a route setter, and maybe some major lesson that you've taken away from these people? Well. My my most prominent mentor is um, the owner of Climb Tacoma. His name's Brian. Um, he's uh, actually, if, if you're curious about Brian Doyle, he um, he owns Climb Tacoma. Obviously, um, he is on like page one twenty seven of the Leavenworth Guidebook. He's in the Leavenworth Guidebook. Um, he is a Leavenworth first ascensionist and him and his best friend, Jason own the gym and Brian pre COVID, um, was the manager and he was very, very involved in the gym. And, um, the gym just was just, Oh God, it was such a cool, it it is such a cool place. But like when I first entered in, I was like, God, this place is so cool. Like everyone here just seems so dope. And like, I was right. Like everyone there was super great. And like, I found out later that it's because, the culture that Brian created in like this, like little gym community just attracted some of the dopest people ever. And so when he asked me if I wanted to work there, cause like, if you ever want to work at climb Tacoma, like it's very seldom that like you can ask for a job and get hired. Like usually climb Tacoma asks you if you would like to work there. Cause we, we've never really put out there in the public that we're hiring. We usually just pull from our community and that's really cool because that allows us to choose like who we work with and keep our our team dynamics like very positive and very good. Um, mm-hmm. We have historically had like incredible teams of people that just end up being lifelong friends. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but Brian asked me if I would like to work there and I just remember being like, you want me to work here? You think I'm cool enough? to like work here Uh and he was right I am cool enough to work there and now the total vibe of the gym is like me just making sure that we're preserving the vibe but also like you know moving forward and stepping things up and like keeping Mm -hmm. things organized and like doing as much as we can and making it a beautiful super fun inclusive space that's like constantly filled with dogs we're a dog-friendly gym Dogs in the gym? I love dogs in the gym. <laughs> well, if don't if they don't pee on the mats, it's generally good. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Our mats are made out of vinyl. And um, when dogs pee on the mats, which they do, and the one that I think has done it the most is actually Brian's dog, Oso, the owner, his dog, <laughs> Oso. Um, I mean, we, we just, we have rags on standby. Like, you know, you put on gloves, you spray it with disinfectant, like cleaner, and you wipe it off. And then there's like an extra clean spot on the mat. So no chalk um, on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's clean. There's no chalk, no shoe rubber. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can usually tell where a dog is peed. We actually haven't had an accident in a really long time, but 
back to back to Brian. He is my mentor. Um, he hired me to work the desk and coach kiddos, the non-competitive team. And then he even said like, Hey, like, it'd be really cool to get you in route setting too. Like, it'd be really good to have like a woman on the team. And I was like, I was floored. I was like, this dude is like stoked about having a tiny girl who I feel like only like maxes out at V5 set routes for all of these people that are just like, like double digit, like crazy, like climbing dudes who like, like literally crush my dreams, like, like w- would crush my dreams if my dreams were a route, you know, you know what I mean? Like, they're just really strong. Um, and then, yeah, like he taught me everything that I know about setting. And like, one of the biggest things that he has instilled in me is that like, um, our routes are here to not only like give people a really enjoyable time, but also to teach them something like at every level, there's something that someone can learn. And it's there, there is also level, a uh, level appropriateness. Um, mm-hmm. like I probably would not ask a V zero climber to do a heel hook or a toe hook. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can introduce those in like, maybe V2, but like definitely V3, if you do it in a very simple way that like feels very comfy. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it, he's always instilled in me that like the second, like it's, it's when it's in your brain, it's yours. Um, but the second that it goes onto the wall, it belongs to climb Tacoma and it is, it's climb Tacoma basically. Um, and like people can praise you for like setting a really cool route, but I mean, what what it really is is like your intentions behind creating that are not for yourself in any way it is for like i've said before like what our community needs um what i would like to teach them with that route and um how they're going to feel when they come off of that route um cuz people will often want to set like really hard like some pretty messed up moves <laughs> and like i i've done it sometimes i'm yeah, like man i just want i i want people on this move here to suffer, which I think is appropriate for certain grades because mm-hmm. they're, we're all suffering in rock climbing. Um, yeah. It's type two fun. But sometimes ex- yeah, type exactly. Fun. Exactly. And like, sometimes when you're cruxing out, you're suffering. And sometimes I want people to suffer in a certain way. And so I will make that happen. Um, but also it's teaching them how to suffer through a mm-hmm. crux move, you know, yeah. and like how to, how to maybe do what you can to make yourself suffer less. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like at the end of the day, it's all about what the gym needs and like putting, putting your own expectations and what you want out of the climb aside. Like, well, I want the move to be like this. Well, maybe that's actually really unreasonable or maybe that's actually really dangerous. And just because you can do a move like that doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe to expect other people to do that kind of move too. Yeah, they're, it's not super typical at Climb Tacoma, but we did have one setter in particular that um, was um, did not take feedback very well and gave a lot of pushback whenever there were any sort of um, changes suggested. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really important for my setting team to know um, is that like when we set the route, we set the route, but when the route, in order for the route to become to come to its full completion, we all need to work on it together. Um, there is 
like it's very rare that there is a route that goes up where there's no notes. I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, there's no notes, but just turn that like a little bit, you know, but like, Mm -hmm. but we think it's great for these reasons. It passes all of, you know, all of these things. Yeah. The checklist. Mm -hmm. Um, but like a route is not complete until we've all put in our feedback and our suggestions Mm -hmm. or until we've all said, yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. Um, but a route can't really go up with only one person's perspective on it. And if someone is not willing to make the changes that your headsetter is asking you because your headsetter knows that that's what the gym needs and that is what is reasonable, not only for the space, but also just for retail route setting in general, um, like, like that ain't cool, man. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, like kind of like how a chef at the end of the day, they're making a product to give to the people that are coming there. And like, you're not going to you, serve spaghetti to someone who ordered a hamburger. That's going to no, be weird. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even if like you think that they should be eating spaghetti. Like, I think you should eat a hamburger. <laughs> well, that, oh, that's, that's just, <laughs> that's just too dang bad. Uh-huh. My, my dude. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's just another thing where setting like within on a team, like the dynamics are so important. They're just so important. I'm happy that you take that philosophy. Um, you know, you know, going back to thinking about all the things that Brian taught you and all of those things that you pulled from other mentors along the way, like let's say right now you were to hire a novice setter with little experience, but a lot of psych. Can you run us through, like as a head setter, how you would approach training this setter? I mean, earlier you talked about starting at a V0. Um, what are some of the fundamentals that you as a headsetter would teach first like learning how to use tools Mm. does that count or just like in terms of like creating movement yeah let's talk about creating movement I mean I think learning how to use tools would definitely be the first first step yeah aside from that Mm -hmm. well I think it's important to understand like types of holds and this is actually something that whenever I teach any sort of intro to climbing, like a climber's first day in the gym, um, I will teach them like hold name jargon so that I can communicate with them. And so without having that like good knowledge base of that kind of communication, it's really hard to set a route because when you're setting a route, it, it is a form of communication. You're asking the climber to do certain movement So first I would want to make sure they understand like what matching is, what smearing is, flagging is super important, Um, like foot switching, stuff like that. Um, I would want to make sure that they understood that first of all, um, because you should be asking climbers to do techniques like that in your climbs. Um, Let's see. I mean, I would, I would probably start really small. I would be like, can you, can you set me, can you set me like one move that makes you traverse to the right and then like use an undercling that will force you to move your left hand up to the finish hold and match like just something, something like really chill and easy like that. And I've been really lucky that all of the people that I have brought into my setting team have already been like pretty proficient in climbing. Like I would say that they climb 
the person, the person with, I would say the least experience that I brought onto our setting team, probably when we hired him, he was climbing like V3 projecting V4. But then when he started setting, he was climbing V5 projecting V6. And so I was pretty comfortable with having him set anything like V4, V5 and below, because when he would go to four run, um, he would kind of already know how that would feel. Um, where I find the most uh, difficulty is uh, teaching people how to set routes that are harder than they actually climb. Um, but I also don't think that people should be discriminated against just because they don't climb at a certain level because our oldest setter, who is, I think he's 52, um, he's been setting for a really long time and he is one of the first people who ever got hired at Climb Tacoma and we still have him around, thankfully. Um, he can set a super dope like V8, V9. And I don't think he's ever climbed harder than V6 inside or outside, but he does it like mm -hmm. all the time. Um, but yeah, I would, I would probably with a newer setter, just start with like, it would really depend on what, where they're at in their own climbing. But I would probably start with um, asking them to set me like really simple movement first. Um, there are times where um, a newer setter, they're, um, they're scheduled to set for the day. And um, I will p start by picking out holds for them uh, from time to time. And I'll be like, okay, I want you to set me a V2 with these. And I want it to be like, big moves, but I want it to still feel like very approachable and easy. Um, and I want it to trend to the right and I'll give them, I'll give them very like specific directions, but then I'll also leave room for some creativity. I'll be like, yeah, but then at this part, I want you to like do something a little bit interesting and just kind of try something out. Um, because for me, I found that it was very helpful um, when holds were picked out for me and I was given like a little bit of direction, but not too much direction where like, I felt like none of the creativity came from me. Um, or I'll have them walk into the back with me in the hold room and be like, um, what holds get you stoked? And if they pick out one, they're like, Oh my gosh, this one. And usually it's like <laughs> the size of like, I don't know, like an enormous, they're like, mm -hmm. oh, I want this one. And I'll be like, okay, cool. So you can use that hold, but um, keep in mind that we're on this wall this week. Um, because of the angle of this wall, this could be a fall hazard. So um, it should be um, like closer to the Higher top up. of the wall. Yeah. And this is how that we should turn it so that like it doesn't get in the way of anything. Um, I want you to put it wherever you want towards the top of the wall. And then I want you to, um, this is the grade you're going to set. And then I want you to set moves that climb into that. And then let me know if you need any help. And um, I'll usually just chill, go do mm -hmm. something else, or I'll set my own thing. And then um, I always make sure that they know, like, hey, like, like if you get stuck, like, it's always good to ask for help. I mm -hmm. always want to hear any questions that you have. You can never ask too many questions. Um, but also at the same time, like, I want you to feel, I want you to feel confident enough to try things. This is actually something I just said to one of my newer-ish setters, like, I think on Monday, because she was like, oh, I really want to do this thing, but like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it work. I'm not sure. Like, I'll try. Um, and she ended up setting, uh, like all the routes that she ended up setting were like super fun and people are having a ton of fun on them this week. And I had a ton of fun on them. And I said to her, I was like, 
one thing I would like to see from you is I would like to see you try something that you're not 100% sure is going to work, but maybe with like just a little bit more confidence because I don't know if she knew that it was okay if like she tries something like an idea that she has and that it doesn't work. Like route setting is like literally just, it's an educated guess every time. Like we don't know if something's going to work when we put it up. And like, that is okay. I never would want her to stifle her creativity because she's not sure if something is going to work. Like Mm -hmm. that is how you learn. And I would rather her try like time if like, you know, time permits, like I would rather her try and like ask for help. Like, Hey, like I really want this move. And then her be happy with the route that went up. Then like her just be like, I'm not going to try that. Cause I don't know if it's going to work. So like, and just like be intimidated by that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, we, we need to experiment. Like you can, you can try to do something and then accidentally do something way cooler and just be like, Oh my gosh, my mind is blown and get really stoked. And then all of a sudden it's like, like an incredible masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a fine line to w- walk, right? Like we want the commercial stuff that we know will work, but we're also at the end of the day, creative people and we want to experiment with movement and it's better to try and fail and be like, well, that didn't work out than to not try at all. Like, so I really applaud that approach. I really enjoy that kind of way to look at setting. Um, I also want to go back again to what you said about, you know, setting harder than you climb. Because as route setters, inevitably, you're going to have to do that. Yeah. I mean, maybe for the rare people who climb a certain grade, you might not. But I think for the majority of route setters, you're going to have to do that. And it seems like you don't really agree with you must climb B10 to set B10. Am I right? I I just don't agree with that because... I have set V10 before in my gym. I think someone has told me, and I believe them, that I've set V11 or V12. And the only reason why it worked is because I relied very heavily on those who were stronger than me to forerun and also to tell me like, hey, like, yeah, this move is hard, but I don't think it's hard enough. And mm-hmm. like, I, I think at this point right now, you could say that I'm in the V8, V9, maybe V10 projecting range for myself. And so I'm not always able to tell if a move is hard enough or too hard because of my certain weaknesses and limitations. Like I'm five, one and a half with a plus three. Mm-hmm. So like I am I am quite small. So like just out straight out the gates already, like a V10 move for someone who is like six foot tall is going to feel way easier for them than it is for me. Um, And that's why route setting is very much a group project. Um, Mm -hmm. But I can still do my part where I put up the bones of the route um, with holds and movement that I think, again, route setting is an educated guess that Mm -hmm. I think is going to be on grade and then um, rely heavily on those around you because like I can't, like I obviously cannot forerun something that is like, very much double digits and like know whether or not it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like I said, um, one of our oldest setters, Jojo, he will set some of the hardest stuff that like he will end up projecting and maybe, maybe he'll send it, maybe he won't. But a lot of our other members who can appropriately climb that grade will climb the route and be like, 
oh my gosh, who said that orange one? And I'm like, that was Jojo. And they're like, oh, I knew it. That thing is so sick. And I'd be like, yeah, like it's crazy. I either made like one change on it or I made no changes to it. Like, and yeah, it was just already like some people are just that good. Mm-hmm. And like this guy maybe climbs like once a week, maybe I feel like. And he's also just became a dad. Like some people just are really, really good at what mm-hmm. they do. Um, yeah, same with and- Brian. Brian, like whenever we need some like really, really hard stuff set in the gym, like I know I can rely on Brian to put something up. And sometimes he'll put something up that's like, like, bro, that's like actually kind of messed up. That's messed <laughs> up hard. But people get really stoked on it. And Brian, he's 45. Um, I think the hardest he's ever climbed outside is V10. And he set some like definitely harder than V10 stuff in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that, that have gone, people have sent it and been like, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, again, like we never get a good finished product just by ourselves with one person. It's always a group effort. Um, yeah. About yeah. setting is all about, you know, collaboration and bouncing ideas. And, you know, with people like Brian, like his experience, his years climbing and his understanding of movement lends to his ability to set above what he climbs and I think in general if you're a newer setter or a newer climber that wants to set something and it's not working out just wait for a bit you're gonna get stronger and you're gonna understand that movement better and one day that idea is just gonna appear on a wall supernaturally totally yeah -hmm. Yeah, and I've seen it in myself too and I've seen it in other people and I feel like anyone has the ability to do anything Mm -hmm. yeah I, I, I want to agree with that. Yeah. I want, I like the optimistic approach. I'm really, really happy that you came on and, you know, chatted with me today, Steph. This has been such a pleasure. Um, Thanks, dude. Thanks for asking. I got so yeah. excited when I saw that you asked. I was like, oh, climbing business journal? Dude, I read y'all's emails <laughs> every week, sometimes twice a week whenever they get sent. I, I've seen the stuff that you've written you know, and then all of a sudden you're all up in my email being like, hey, and I was like, wait, this is not just a weekly email. This is a person. Uh-huh. And so like that was really cool. Um, oh, my God. I wish yeah, I get dude. to meet you in person soon. Yeah. Do you Thank can. you so much. You yeah. know where to find me. Where You're in Colorado, you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm right. in Colorado. Yeah, so, dude, yeah, we sick. should do some set of swaps sometime or, or just come out here and climb. Dude, yeah, yeah, that'd be so fun. I've never climbed in Colorado ever. So, oh, there is a ton. There's a ton here. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what I've heard. We got you. Heard all good right. Things. Um, I think that'll be all for tonight. And thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll be back soon with another guest. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Stephanie Murr. Steph would like to take this opportunity to thank her sponsors, Mad Rock, Midnight Lightning, and Elevation. This episode is dedicated to Steph's cat companion, Petzl, aka Biggie. That's it, folks. Check us out next time. We'll be back with another episode and another guest soon. If you enjoy what you heard, share this with a friend, tell a coworker, or give us a shout on social media. Thanks again. See ya. See ya.